No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. Um, and I called my family to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello everyone, I am Tim Lawson, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast and Project. I am back after a three or four week short hiatus uh, to you know getting through uh, the holidays, uh, finals, you know, I'm a full-time student, and just sort of regathering my thoughts on the subject. I re- really appreciate everybody's patience, and I'm back with a very, very special interview. Today I have James Altucher. James Altucher is a a growing and uh, huge influencer in today's world. He's a best-selling author. He's invested in a bunch of uh, companies. One of those companies helping match uh, brain scans for antidepressant uh, prescriptions uh, for veterans returning uh, from deployment. So um, he's going to talk to us a little bit about that. He has his own suicidal behavior that he's going to reflect on. He has ways that he approaches mental and emotional health. This is a very special interview. We are, I'm, very, I'm very grateful to, uh, to have gotten his time. And the, the importance in this is... I want to help bridge the the civilian and military divide. And while James Altucher is not a veteran himself, he sympathizes with with the crisis of veteran suicide. He wants to do his part. He talks about how he learned about it, and you know it's it's very important for us to to include these types of stories. So uh, here is my interview with James Altucher on suicide, brain scans, emotional mental health, and everything else. Uh, you know, I've I've read I've read Choose Yourself and Power of No. Um, oh, great! Yeah, I've been listening to Ask Altucher um, on a regular basis, and then and then the James Altucher show when I have time. And you know, you you don't shy away from mentioning uh, suicide and that you've experienced right. that you've experienced this behavior. But there's not a lot of context other than my life broken down in front of me and I became suicidal. So. Um, for my audience that's less familiar with your story, and then for your fans who maybe would like to, a, a more deeper explanation, can you talk to us sort of, uh, you know, go ahead and start where the story begins, uh, but get more into, uh, you know, what you were truly experiencing. Like, were you idolizing uh, the idea of suicide? Did you ever find yourself close to an attempt? Stuff like that. Okay, great. Um, so, you know, so let's, uh, let's go with the, your first experience with suicidal behavior. Uh, what led into that and what was that experience like? You know, I was having a rough time of it. Uh, I had sold a company. So I was, so sometimes, you know, suicide is not kind of a, a slow decline from depression into worse depression into suicidal feelings. But it could be a result of maybe mania going, you know, swinging all the way to the other end 
into depression and uh, suicidal feelings. And what happened to me was I had sold a company and made some money and was doing very well. But then I realized that, you know, all these dreams that I thought I had was just a band-aid to cover up other problems that were happening in my life. And so, so I started uh, doing all sorts of crazy things. And the final result was I went uh, dead broke. I mean, I went from having a lot of money to having zero money. Like I had nothing in my ATM. I was losing my house. I was losing my family. I was, uh, uh, you know, and I, I lived a few blocks away from the World Trade Center. And then 9-11 happened. Uh, I was like literally right outside the World Trade Center when it happened. And so I don't really talk about this anywhere because I feel uh, I feel everybody's got kind of their 9-11 stories. And, and a lot of stories are much more horrible than mine. Like I didn't really lose anybody in the World Trade Center during this time. So all those stories are much more horrific. But nevertheless... I was right outside the World Trade Center. I had just had breakfast in in the first floor, and uh, the plane went right in. And you know, within a matter of uh, minutes, you know, the fire had spread, and people were starting to jump out of the building. And so, I was seeing kind of up front uh, these many examples of of not just you know, ideation, but act, people actually committing suicide and, uh, and they had to because the, the heat was, was so intense up there. But then anyway, then over the next week or two, I proceeded to make, you know, further financial decisions, you know, in the stock market, uh, that totally beyond doubt wiped me out and put me into deep debt as well. And it was just horrible. So, and again, a lot of people had worse stories, so I don't want to say my story is any better or worse than anybody else's. Right. But at the time, I thought, I've just got nothing left to to live for. And because I had made some money earlier, I had been able to get out an expensive life insurance policy. So I thought I legitimately thought my uh, children would be much better off with the results of the life insurance policy than having like an incredibly, you know, loser dad like me. And it was, it wasn't even, it was even beyond that. It wasn't like I viewed myself as a loser. I was just, I was too scared to continue. Um, I, I felt like I was too scared to kind of peel myself off the floor and figure out what it meant to survive. Like it didn't seem, it didn't seem possible. It seemed like it required too much energy. Like I had spent a lot of energy on the first 34 years of my life. Uh, and I thought I was done with that, with spending that kind of energy. And I couldn't imagine using, you know, exerting myself again. I couldn't imagine, um, taking on the kind of exertion and energy required to live from that point. And, you know, so I would just, I, so I started, uh, so, so, so you asked if I had ever actually attempted and the, the answer is, the answer is no. But part of that was because I was really scared. Like I didn't even know how, like I would search on search engines 
how and this wasn't the first time this happened this was maybe the first of like three or four times this happened i was really doing an intense amount of research into how i can possibly kill myself and i don't want to actually discuss the ways i i researched cuz i i think i came pretty close to to figuring out a painless way but there's really no there's really no uh painless way to do it like you know a lot of first off hanging or throwing yourself in front of a car has to be the stupidest things in the world because what could end up happening is you just get paralyzed for life and live another 80 years and that's just miserable or you could end up getting brain damaged and living another 80 years uh and that would be just miserable so i didn't want to have a as bad as my life was i didn't even want, i didn't want to make it worse like that would be yeah that would be awful so and even shooting yourself like that people think that that's pretty effective but if you actually look at the statistics it's not it's not incredibly i mean it's not as effective as you would like it to be i mean you kind of want 100% effectiveness if you want to kill yourself and shooting yourself could end up you know i i know one person who did uh try to shoot himself and he ended up uh paralyzed missing an eye and distorting his face and you know that's not, that's not the kind of outcome I wanted to even remotely risk. Uh, and uh, so, what else? What else is there? there there's various things, but I, I won't get into all of them. Right. But suffice to say, I didn't know what to do. And and the one way I thought was a decent way, I couldn't I couldn't find on using every search engine. And this again happened repeatedly. Like happening, this happened to me in two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand four, two thousand eight. I couldn't find this one method that I thought was a surefire way, but it might have just been fiction. And in, in any case, um, I was really depressed, and I had to, I had to figure it out. I was trying everything. I mean, I was trying um, everything from like meditation to drugs to to. Gosh, all the all the just stupidest. Not that meditation or or drugs is stupid, because sometimes those things work. But nothing was really working for me. And 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 I had no idea what would work because you know there's this saying it's there it's your best thinking that got you here. So here you are, and everything you've thought in the past for the thirty or forty or fifty years prior, everything that you've done in the past. All it's done is brought you right to this point where you're considering killing yourself. So it's not as like as if everything anything I've ever done before uh was of use to me. I had to come up with new ways. And uh and that's very difficult. And so so there there's the one thing that worked for me, well first off I was taking antidepressants. I don't know if that worked for me or not. And we could talk about that in a, in a little bit because okay. uh, I have I've made some investments in that area that's directly applicable to to veterans. Okay. But uh, uh, one thing I did start to do was I just I took a step back and I realized, listen, okay, I'm not. Chances are I'm not going to kill myself as because again I was either too afraid or I didn't know how or I didn't know if I was correct in the assumption that my kids would be better off with my life insurance policy rather than with me. So I was, I was toured in all these different directions and I felt some degree of responsibility. And so, uh, that particularly once I had, had children and, uh, uh, what became really important to me was every day 
I had to just in a tiny way improve myself physically, emotionally, mentally or creatively and spiritually. And I hate the word spiritual because it means different things to different people. But, uh, you know, one way I would try to improve myself spiritually is just feel gratitude for what I had because I can't fear and gratitude can't stay in the same brain at the same time. So the moments when I was feeling gratitude and I would try to practice this all day long and I still try to practice from the moment I woke up today, I still try to practice this all day long. Uh, I would try to think of just from, from small things to big things that I'm, that I'm grateful for. And, you know, on the physical level, I couldn't just lie around in my house all day. I had to, I had to get out. Even I just started taking big walks. You don't have to go, you know, many people drive two miles to the gym and then walk two miles on a treadmill. I I didn't want to get into the normal exercise routines because I didn't know how, how effective it was and I didn't really like to exercise, but I would make sure I would walk like, you know, I'd walk up to, I don't know, 20 miles a week. And, uh, you know, which may, may sound like a lot to some people, sound like a little to some people, but for me, it was, it was enough to, it was more than what I was doing. And emotionally, I realized I wasn't very happy in a lot of my relationships. I wasn't necessarily associating with the best people. I tried to kind of consistently upgrade, uh, the, the level of my relationship. So I would start being around more around people who loved and trusted me and less around people who I didn't really like or I didn't really feel good being around. And then on a creative level or a mental level, I realized that uh, it was very, very important for me was to bring in money to feed my family and to to accomplish something. And I realized that more important than making money, you can't just sort of snap your fingers and make money. More important is having ideas. And the idea muscle, it's like a muscle, like any other muscle, it's like the leg muscles. If you don't walk for two weeks, if, if you don't walk for two weeks, you actually need physical therapy to walk again because your leg muscles will atrophy so quickly. And it's the same thing with the idea muscle. My idea muscle had totally atrophied. So I started writing down 10 ideas a day every morning and I still do that to, to this day. And this, this became an important practice to me. So do, doing these four things, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, improving even like 1% a day in each of these four areas became a, a big focus of mine and did actually help me drag myself off the floor and find ways to be around people who were more loving, find ways to start uh, getting a sense of accomplishment, um, focus more on gratitude, uh, stop having all the physical pain that I was having. Uh, and this kind of brought me out of the, the slump I was in. But it was a daily practice. When I stopped doing it, I slipped back down again. And again, I, in 2002, 2004, 2008, 2010, I had to kind of do it again and make sure I got back on this daily practice. And now I'm, I'm on this daily practice that I will not get off of, I hope, not knocking on wood. Um, cause I think this keeps me from, from those demons. Absolutely. And I've, uh, you know, like I've mentioned, I've, I've consumed a lot of your material. I, my girlfriend would tell you, I, I have fun doing the 10 ideas thing, uh, each day. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it gets my mind working and it creates optimism. I think that's one thing that hasn't really been pointed out about this idea, about becoming an idea machine is even when you're emotionally, 
torn and you're depressed and stuff, being able to come up with the ideas, it creates optimism because you see opportunity and ideas and new talking points. And uh, so even if these ideas don't actually, even if you don't t- uh, capitalize on any of them, there is actually a change in mindset. It's true because, you know, I and this is like in 2002. It, it, first off, people have to, because you're coming up with 10 ideas a day, you have to give yourself permission to come up with lots of bad ideas. So if you're coming up with 3,650 ideas a year, clearly most of them are going to be bad or even horrifically bad. So, um, but many of them will give you optimism or many of them will be the seeds of future ideas that might work out. So, um, you know, I remember in 2002, I had, uh, one of my lists was, um, 10, I wanted to write, I came up with an idea. I wanted to write a book. Uh, how to beat your friends at any game in the universe. So, you know, over our holidays, you get together with your family and friends and be, someone breaks out the Monopoly board or the Scrabble board or the checkers board and you're playing your friends. So, so I came up with an idea. Okay. I'm going to come up with 10 games. And then for each game, here are the little tricks you need to know and you'll beat anybody who's just an average player. Um, you know, most people are average players at all these games. So for instance, like, for Monopoly, if all you do is own St. James Place, then chances are you're going to win. So I had all sorts of like tricks and techniques like that to, uh, to help people be, win any game in the universe. Now, did I ever write this book? No, it's probably a bad idea. Uh, and, but it became the fuel for various posts and chapters and books that I had over the next 10 years. So, you know, you never know how, things will blossom and sprout. And another time I had an idea for, for 10 businesses to start. Well, I actually ended up starting all 10. Nine of them failed very quickly, and the 10th turned out to be successful. So I never would have done that. And then the next day, you know, I, I had an idea of 10 things to put on the front page of, you know, this one idea that was the, the successful one. And then and then I started having more ideas revolving around this business. So I knew that this was going to be a business that would that would excite me and would excite others. So it, it becomes, you know, a good way to to exercise uh uh your your idea muscle, but it also it gives you a chance you, you you're it's sort of like uh you're tuning the um the t- you're, you're tuning the tuner so that when a good idea comes you're ready for it you're you're receiving right so i, I want to point out before we move on that it's important the, the importance that i saw on bringing you onto this show is i think one thing that is missing in addressing addressing suicide in the veteran space is there's not enough, there's not that bridge to the civilian space and a lot of you know there's a lot of what you've talked about that even though the circumstance is a little bit different the ideas uh are are the same losing family losing money losing jobs these are all reasons that i've heard veterans come forward saying that's why i wanted to commit suicide and you know it's it's important for anybody, veteran or not, to realize, oh, yeah, what I'm going through is something that, uh, that is, is more common than, uh, than my irrational state of depression is letting me believe. You know, a big thing, a big thing is, is, is money. You know, m- money definitely leads to like huge stress. Like, have you ever, um, have you ever been in like financial distress and suddenly you have like back pain? Yes. 
So it, it, there's a lot of uh, research that shows financial stress is heavily related to uh, back pain. And, uh, uh, you know, what happens with financial stress is that it cuts off the oxygen. Um, you, you start kind of breathing really high up in your chest because you're so nervous all the time. And it cuts off the oxygen to the rest of your body. I, I'm not explaining this in a scientific way, just kind of saying what I think is happening. And, you know, you start to feel on your lower back uh, pain. This has happened to me many times. And suddenly you're in physical pain, you're in financial stress, the physical pain might lead to emotional pain. It'll make you too sick to start coming up with ideas and, and on and on. And then eventually you, you, it starts leading to thoughts of suicide. So, um, but then you have to ask, well, what's going to solve it? You don't know because you don't know. Is it, was it the back pain? Was it the financial stress? Was it the emotional stress? Do I need antidepressants? What drug do I take? And, uh, you know, do I need talk therapy? Uh, we suddenly, we don't know what to do. And it, it, suicide's hard because it starts out, you, 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 life in general starts out, you have this, it's like a, it's like a huge funnel. You know, a funnel is wide at the top and at the bottom, there's like one tiny way out. And so we start off at the top of this funnel where we're, we're going around this funnel and there's every opportunity open to us, but we kind of start spiraling down this funnel until it feels like there's only one way out. And, and it's hard to climb back up that funnel. So, you know, I, I think, I think that's why it's so hard for people who are in suicidal states to kind of see that there's more than one way out. And it's, it's very difficult to kind of determine what that way out is. Um, yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned, uh, you had an investment in antidepressants. Did you want to touch on that? Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that happens, so, so one thing that happens is many people who are depressed, um, or maybe many, many veterans who are coming back, they don't know if they're depressed. Uh, they don't know if they're experiencing post-traumatic stress. They don't know if they're experiencing some sort of bipolar disorder. Uh, you know, I'm sure they've been diagnosed with all of it. They don't know if they're experiencing anxiety. So, uh, I'm sure veterans have been diagnosed with all of these things, but they don't know how to, they've been maybe misdiagnosed or then there's all sorts of pills for, for these things. So it turns out that on average, uh, it takes eight years to find the right medication for someone who's depressed and feeling suicidal. Um, and even that number might be too low because many people get frustrated. They take antidepressants and it's not working and get frustrated and they stop treatment. But for the people where they have found uh, the right antidepressant for them, it's taken on average eight years to find the right one that works. That's ridiculous because eight years is a long time to be depressed. And uh, so, so one company that I'm invested in is a company called CNS Response. What they do is they have a database of 10,000 brain scans where uh, the right antidepressant was found for each of these people. And they'll take your brain. Let's say you go and visit them and you take your brain scan. They'll statistically match your brain scan to their database. And then depending on what brain scan you clo most closely match, they'll determine the right uh, medication for you. And... Um, CNS response has started doing this in Walter Reed Hospital 
for returning veterans, and they've had like massive success. So I do recommend um, that returning veterans who are feeling depressed for whatever reason, it, it doesn't matter what disorder you have, uh, they won't diagnose the disorder, but they will recommend the right medication. Um, they'll take your brain scan and they'll recommend the right medication for you. Now, there's also companies um, that I'm not invested in that do something similar, but they'll do it based on your on a DNA analysis. And and the benefit of that is they'll also know the right quantities for you to take based on your uh, DNA. So so that might be an effective way also. Okay. So. So it's it's an interesting way to um, kind of very quickly find the right approach to take uh, for your depression. What influenced you to be open about your experience with suicide? I mean, you I see as you mention it uh, not only in your books and your podcast, but I've also seen uh, talks where you where you mention it. Um, was it was it a decision that you made, or did it just come out naturally one day and you just rolled with it? Like, what what made you comfortable with with bringing it up? You know, it's funny because I was writing a lot about stocks and stuff and I was running a hedge fund business and, you know, I was going on CNBC a lot. I would dress up in my little suit like uh, like I was going to my bar mitzvah or something. I'd go to <laughs> CNBC and talk with all the other talking heads about Apple stock or gold or the economy. And it was just such BS all the time on there. And nobody was really – I felt like everybody was kind of like lying and – I, I, I sort of, nobody in the financial space admits that they're anything less than perfect. I remember one time I wrote about how I lost a lot of money and a guy came up to me who was thinking of investing me in me, in my company and he said, dude, you're, 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 you're you just, you admitted losing a lot of money. Um, how's anybody going to invest in you? And the reality is everybody has lost a lot of money at some point in their lives, and, you know, particularly in the financial business. That's, the nature of the financial business, but people who are afraid to admit that were, end up being either criminals like Bernie Madoff or end up lying about it. So, you know, like almost every mutual fund company in the world, you know, a, a, a typical mutual fund company will start five mutual funds. Four of them will, will have bad results. So they'll drop those four. And then when they advertise the one that works, uh, it's, it's as if they were the greatest mutual fund company in the world. They, they don't even have the four that failed anymore, so they don't talk about them anymore. So it became a big surprise to people, particularly in the, the community that I was most associated with, that I'd start blogging this. Everyone thought, oh my God, this is like watching, uh, a train wreck in, in slow motion. Like I was admitting to all these failures, uh, which are common to people, but nobody would admit them. And I think it was a surprise to people. And I really ended up, I ended up costing, it ended up costing me a lot of relationships and even a lot of business relationships. But the flip side of that is people knew that what you see is what you get. Like I was a trusted source. So it ended up actually in the long run creating much more valuable relationships for me and much more valuable business relationships even. So I definitely encourage people to be open about their thoughts and their experiences and what they've been through and what they're going through. A lot of times there's a lot of shame around uh, discussions like suicide or failure or losing relationships or losing money or things you've done along the way of losing relationships and losing money. And I just, I, I encourage people, you know, you don't want to be so honest that you hurt the people around you, but be as authentic and as honest as you can. And you'll find that that boundary is a lot further out than you initially thought. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I the uh, you know the, the first episode that we that I put out for this uh, project was my own story. You know, I wanted to I wanted to open up and be honest about it, uh, not for my own you know for my own benefit and also you know sort of lead by example. Um, and you know, I and I agree. Once you start opening up about it, you know, you do get adverse responses from people, but most people like applaud you, and then they uh they they want to learn more and then he realizes it's a much more comfortable thing to talk about and it's almost empowering if you if you approach it right and you and you talk to the right people about it yeah i i, I agree because what what ended up you know it's funny what ended up happening in one case was um i i someone reached out to me uh who also was go, go, had gone through something similar and uh it turns out we had a lot in common and we ended up uh doing some business together that worked out extremely well. Like you never know when once you're once you start being honest, magic starts happening in your life, and it's really been inspirational to me to see the results of that. It's been incredible. Yeah. Uh, so in our first in our in our first um, uh, engagement, you know, over email when I first invited you onto the show, uh, you mentioned that uh, that you had learned. Uh, they had heard that it was, you know, so one veteran a day. Uh, and you mentioned that you believe, in your opinion, it's the worst, most gross thing that has ever happened in this country. How did you learn? I think this is something that a lot of veterans and especially a lot of advocates for veteran suicide would be interested in knowing. How did you learn about the crisis of veteran suicide? Well, the problem is, is that I I learned about it, and I'll explain why this is a problem in a second. The problem is I learned about it because I'm invested in it. So meaning, you know, I'm invested in this company that is helping veterans. Uh, now we didn't know when when I invested in this company, we didn't know what group we would be helping. We just knew we had this technology. Right. But I'm in. Uh, but then Walter Reed Hospital became a, a major uh, customer, and so I learned through that uh, what the situation is with veterans. So why is that a problem? It's because not everybody uh, is going to have this direct experience of having a, you know, I'm directly involved in helping veterans cure this, you know, problem. So not every, very few people are directly involved in that. And, uh, and, and even that, even getting Walter Reed as a customer for this company was a, a very long and arduous process because the government almost doesn't want to admit what the problem is. I don't want to criticize the government too much because there's a lot of other problems that the government has, perhaps, and I'm grateful now that they've, they've recognized this problem and, and are helping veterans to, to the extent that they can. But uh, I just think the news doesn't come out about this issue. Now, there's a reason why the news doesn't come out. Newspapers, and I've worked for many news outlets. I've worked for newspapers, magazines, websites, and, and radio stations. They're not, they're basically not allowed to talk about suicide because when you talk about suicide in a media outlet, there's this theory that there's going to be suicides that happen because you're talking about it. Like a contagion effect. Excuse me? Like a contagion effect. Yeah. And I don't know if that's true or not. Is that true? Um, I've heard, I've had a couple other, when I first started this project, there was a couple people that were. Um, that wanted me to be cautious about it because they feared that. But no one, uh, I saw one article that had like 
one case of where they believe there were suicides inspired by media coverage, but there was, like, no substantial evidence. I think it's a fear. Yeah, I don't know. There's no real... I haven't seen real evidence on it, and I think people are just afraid of it, and they want to avoid it because no one wants to be the guilty party if it does happen. Yeah, I mean, at one time, uh, this was in 2009, I noticed that, um, if you know, Google... I don't know if they still do this. Google had this thing called Google Trends where it would... uh track um um like almost like a stock chart how many times people searched on a phrase and so i matched how do i uh, the phrase how do i kill myself versus the u.s stock market and it was almost like reverses of each other so the worse the stock market was doing the more people were searching how do i kill myself and um, i wanted to do a story on this on our radio station and they refused to do it because because of this reason and so I think uh, a lot of the issue, the, the, and, and the case of the veterans is further complicated by the fact that, uh, you know, there's kind of a um, propaganda machine that, uh, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to criticize the government, but uh, there's, there's, there's a machine that basically says it's a great thing to go and defend your country, and there's no downside to it, when the reality is there's an enormous downside, enormous, 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 enormous downside, and uh, uh, war is just a bad thing. Like, when you give 18-year-old kids guns and send them to a foreign country that doesn't want you there, and you tell them to shoot other 18-year-old kids with guns, bad things are only going to happen. It'll, it will never be the case that good things come out of that. Never. And uh, uh, that's just my opinion. People are free to disagree. I, I One time I wrote an article about this, and everybody, I, I wrote an article on a peace-related site. It was like a yoga site, and everybody was disagreeing with me. And I said, you know what? You're, you're all the people disagreeing with me, that's fair, but the good thing is you're all free to volunteer and go to Afghanistan yourselves with a gun and do whatever it takes to, 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 that you need to do. And nobody, people st- completely stopped responding at that point. <laughs> and, and so everybody wants to talk, you know, philosophy and history. People were arguing with me about the Peloponnesian War and how it defended democracy like 2000 years ago. And I'm like, fine, just go, just, you know, I have a daughter who's 15. I, in three years, she's going to be 18. Under no sir, I will I will lock her in a cage rather than give her a gun and send her overseas to fight people. So so you know, but but I noticed that nobody was willing. All the people who were defending my my daughter's uh you know perhaps need to to do this, um, none of them were willing to volunteer in her place. And you know that's I find that to be very telling about what people's real opinions are. You know always look at what people will actually do rather than what they say uh in terms of in terms of what their real beliefs are and yet people were felt really free to insult me um threaten to kill me uh threaten to beat the crap out of me uh everybody was free to kind of call me the worst human being in the world and i lost friends over that article uh you know it was very it was very it was very painful for me actually like one guy i was friends with for 20 years uh, assumed that it meant uh, I was for slavery because I was against <laughs> war. And he says it would have meant you would have been against the Civil War. And I'm like, well, also, maybe another way to look at it is I would have been against the Revolutionary War. And 
England freed the slaves in 1832. So, you know, and the U.S. didn't. So I, I, who knows? Who knows ultimately what history, you know, what challenges history would have faced. But I will always believe that war will never create peace. War will, you know, only peace creates peace. And you could point to World War II as a great example. You know, how many people did Mao and Stalin together kill after World War II ended? Probably another 60 million people, maybe more. And, uh, you know, this is, it's just horrible, the, the outcomes of these things. But the outcome in the United States right now is veterans are coming home with, you know, depressed, with anxiety, with post-traumatic stress, and with suicidal, you know, thoughts. And I just think this is a, a very sad outcome. Absolutely. It's actually been one of my biggest criticisms on the, I, of this whole ISIS debates and stuff like that. People are like, oh, we need to go over there. And it's like, do you, do we really want, do, can we start thinking about the implications that sending another, uh, another generation of 18 year olds to war has on this country with mental and emotional health issues and more, it just, it just makes it, ah, uh, it makes me feel sick. Um, right. And, and you know, like, I'll admit that, I don't know the answers. Like, obviously, it's a very hard problem in the Middle East. Right. But, but, okay, I don't know the answers. Certainly, the worst answer is to to bomb people. <laughs> like, <laughs> that doesn't seem like the only solution. So, you know, now, do I know other solutions? No. But, uh, uh, okay, I'll, I'll stay out of it till I have a better solution. That you know, certainly yeah. then I'll say certainly then more people will live if I stay if if the United States stays out of it. Sure. So something that uh, that, I, that I meant to ask um, uh, a few minutes ago: when was the last time you truly experienced suicidal behavior? When you actually felt a desire within yourself to end your life? Probably, you know, you know. It, it, for whatever reason, I don't know why exactly this happened, but like mid 2010, I had a bad, uh, I had a bad experience and nothing horrible was happening in my life, but maybe in, in fact, I was entering into, I mean, I had met the woman who had become, who was going to become my wife, Claudia. Uh, everything, things were going well. Um, I moved, um, and I was introducing Claudia to my kids and starting to integrate my family. So things seemed to be going well, but for some reason I was having like enormous anxiety. And that's really when I started writing more and being more honest and authentic about it. But that's also when I, I really focused on living in the present. I mean, I would start, I would wake up at three in the morning and I would start ripping up pads, like adding up numbers Oh, I'm going to die like in this amount of time. Like I'm not going to have any money or whatever. And all this stuff was nonsense. Like it was just stuff that I had, you know, years in the future. I wasn't getting any sleep. Uh, I had no ability to predict the future. And so I started very much focusing on, okay, what can I do right now? Right now I can breathe. That's very important to do right now. That next thing I can do is I can be healthy today and I can be around good people today. I can come up with ideas today. I can be grateful today. These are the only things I can really do right now to, to, to help my future. The best predictor of a successful tomorrow is a successful today. So whenever I find myself too worried about the future now, I just focus on how can today be successful for me? Cause that's the only way to kind of 
predict in the best way a successful tomorrow. So, so probably like 2010. So what I appreciate about you, James, is you're, you're, you're not just honest, but you're like transparent. I've determined the differences between those two things being honesty is what you give when the truth is challenged and transparency is what you give when no one asks for it. Um, and I think when I'm, I try to encourage people to be more transparent where they feel comfortable and not just have to wait for moments of honesty to, uh, you know, to, to bring forward some sort of, you know, uh, parts of their lives that may be influential. Um, do, would you agree with that? And, and how, uh, did, did you ever realize a difference between the two? Uh, you know, actually, I haven't thought about it that way. That's a really good distinction. You know, what I always say, and I, I say this, if, if you, if you, if you have a teenage daughter, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But I always say when, when most people tell me things, they're usually telling me there's a, uh, what, I always have to think to myself, they're giving me a good reason, but there's also a real reason. So for instance, um, I used to run a business where we made websites. And if an employee came to me and said, oh, this thing the client is asking for on the website is, uh, it would be really ugly and it would slow down their site a lot. Uh, he's giving me a good reason, um, which, where I might say, okay, I agree with you. But the real reason might be he just doesn't know how to do it and he's not admitting that. So, so, uh, often people have real reasons which they hide with their good reasons. So, so, for instance, my, my, a teenage daughter might say, Oh, uh, you know, I have to go do homework over my friend's house. But the real reason is she just wants to have a sleepover over at her friend's house and yeah. talk boys and whatever. Um, so that's fine. So my whole thing is if you just start, if you just start off thinking about and telling me the real reason, I'm much more likely to say yes, actually, uh, than, or, or help you in some way than if you tell me the good reason. And I can see right through, as you mentioned, the transparency. I can see right through to the real reason. Because I'm going to think anyway um, what the real reason is for everything someone's saying to me. And I encourage people to practice that. Like, listen for the good reasons and the real reasons. Because sometimes the good reasons are so good, you can't get past that to the real reason. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, just like, just again, getting back to the subject of war, often there's a good reason and there's a real reason. Like... Uh, often people have suggested what the real reasons why the U.S. might want to go to war in different countries and not other countries. Like, why don't we go to war in, like, I don't know, Rwanda, but we'll go to war in Iraq. Uh, you know, there might be good reasons and then there might be real reasons. So I encourage people in general to try to, you know, good reasons could be honest, but I'm putting it in your terms now, Tim. Good reasons could be honest, but real reasons is where transparency comes through. And I encourage people to kind of look at both when looking at all the situations around them in their lives. To to wrap this up, a lot of my guests, um, whether they're coming forward with their own suicidal uh, experience or if they're talking about a family or friend uh, that they've lost a suicide, you know, I, I believe that a lot of them agree to come on the show and, and have a, have, you know, a message or an idea that they anticipate sharing or message that they want to get across. Is there anything that you were hoping to get out today that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, no, I mean, I would only kind of underline again, um, you know, everything you're anxious about the future or everything you regret about the past, 
you, there's nothing you can do about the future or the past now, but you can do things about how you're feeling right now. And the way you do that is try to, as small as possible, if necessary, try to improve physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Because the, again, the best predictor of a successful tomorrow is a su successful today. And that's how you have a successful today. And any anxiety about the future, is only going to drain energy from today and it's never going to solve the problems in the future because we don't really know what the problems in the future will, will bring. So, so I would just, I would just essentially repeat that to say what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> James, I, I can't thank you enough. It's, um, it's, it's such, um, you know, I, I admire you. And so it's, uh, it's, thanks, it's, it's been a real, uh, a real pleasure getting a chance, uh, to talk with you. And, um, it's, um, this shows the power in simply, you know, reaching out to someone and looking to collaborate because, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's important, I think, in, as we grow personally and professionally, uh, to realize that there's less barriers than we imagine. And I think that th that can translate as well into, uh, you know, into emotional health and trying to reach out to people you believe can help you and realize that there's less barriers to get there, uh, than one would think. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's funny. Uh, I'll tell you one quick story. So, so I have a podcast and, um, uh, do you ever drink Yingling beer? Yes. Okay. So Dick Yingling is in his seventies, multi-billionaire, owner of Yingling beer. It's the largest private, it, it's the largest American owned brewer, I think, in the United States right now. Um, because everybody else has been bought by foreign companies and he's in his seventies and, uh, you know, I asked him, the first question I asked him is, why did you come on my podcast? Like, <laughs> you know, like you're a billionaire, you're running this beer company, like, what do you need, what do you need to go on a podcast for? And he's like, well, you asked me. So, that was, I thought that was a great answer. And, then, and he came on and we had a great podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, James. Um, that's all we, ha that's all I have for you. Uh, today. Well, thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast, and and I think this is a really important mission what you're what you're doing here. So I really appreciate it. Of course, it's uh you know it's it, it, I t I said um originally when I first kicked this off that as long as I had people willing to come forward and share their stories, that I'd continue doing this show. Excellent. All right. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks Bye. for inviting me on. Okay. Bye. Bye. Man, I mean, I had just I was so uh so excited to get a chance to talk to him and. You know, just the, his conversation, his insight, his ideas, his honesty, his transparency, all of it, uh, you know, just so, so amazing to listen to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of James Altucher. I've mentioned in my momentary reflections that he's one of my virtual mentors. Uh, I've learned a lot from him and I've, I've honestly been able to improve a lot of my own emotional health, uh, because of some of the practices that I've gotten, uh, from James Altucher. If you've ever been exposed to James before and this like inspired you or intrigued you, you want to learn more about him, you can go to jamesaltucher.com. Um, that's where his blog is. He's at jaltucher on Twitter. And then if you go to our website, uh, one too many project.com, O-N-E, the number two, many project.com, uh, and go slash 4848, um, which is this episode. Um, you'll see in the show notes there, I'll have links to a handful of his stuff. There's also going to be a little bit of information on 
uh, my spotlighted nonprofit uh, for the month. It'll, I'll actually be spotlighting this particular nonprofit now until the end of January. Uh, but it is the Soldiers Project. Um, that I've been talking with them about doing an event possibly, and I think that their efforts are admirable and noteworthy. And so, um, you know, I will be mentioning them uh, on the show for the next uh, for the next month um, in a cross collaboration, and um, and to make people more aware of what their uh, efforts are. So you can go to one too many project dot com slash four eight for more more information on this this episode and the soldiers project uh this thursday and next thursday there will be questions uh my q a will feature uh, a couple questions answered by james and hopefully we get a chance to uh hear from him again later on down the road Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate the time that you put into this. I know this was a longer episode, but uh, you know, it, it, I wanted to be able. I want to feature as much as I can uh, from the guests that uh, agreed to come and share their story. So, thank you for listening. Have a great and merry Christmas wherever you may be. Uh, I will see you tomorrow for momentary reflections, and again on Thursday for the Q and A. <laughs>